0: we express our praise and gratitude to allah ta'ala and we seek blessings upon the prophet peace be upon him so <clears throat> once again uh a bulk of our discussion yesterday was how does the law relate to the rest of life And the bigger point being, how does Islam play out in our lives? And the difficult point I was suggesting was how you live your life, the whole picture, including your individual personal habits, as well as the polity you live in, is your Islam. And al-Islam, being what the Prophet, peace be upon him, did, in some ways may line up with what you do and in some ways may contradict what you do and so this is one of the things to explore and what I suggested for our consideration is that we have law and we have justice if you are going through Islamic law without justice in your mind and heart then the law becomes a very easy tool to exploit either for you to find incorrect easy ways out of things or if you have some amount of influence to take advantage of other people the easiest example of that is of course polygamy where you might just uh, uh, marry two women not tell each other and then on top of that you might financially be treating them uh the same which actually may be oppressive for one of them and then from the legal perspective you might be fulfilling The basic form of the law. That is, is justice and the law are separate. So, justice is this strive towards uh, equilibrium, strive towards dignity. And the law would be the specific rules focused more on giving stability. Then, the next point I gave for your consideration is that the foundation of how we practice things, the actual practice, not the ideas, the practice is our culture and our customs. And that includes institutions. Usually when we think of culture and customs, we think of your clothes, your food, things like that. But it also includes what are the steps you take if a crime is being committed? What are the steps you take if the heater in your house is not working? That is also part of your culture, your custom. How do you get from place to place is also part of your culture, your custom and, and such. And we would like for the entirety of it to be informed by Islam. But if you did a true brutal assessment of your life, a frank assessment of your life, you might discover that let's say hypothetically you have a hundred elements in your life. How many of those are actually Islamic? It could be 90 or it could be nine if we look at all the different elements of, of life. And then in terms of change, bring us to the the drawing the ultra simplistic uh approach is that you have to change the hearts of a significant number of people significant doesn't mean millions uh Margaret Mead uh famous uh philanthropist social worker uh humanitarian out here she says uh one of the rules of the history of humanity is always it only takes a few people to change humanity And so think of any aspect. Think of how outlandish our weddings are. If a few people, a small but significant number of people got together and changed the approach of weddings so it isn't this $50,000, $100,000 celebration to something super simple in a masjid, super simple walima, where maybe you're just giving chai, maybe have some nice talk at the most. People are dressed casually, not in ultra fancy clothing, you can save a whole lot of people a whole lot of money or save all that money that you would use towards a house, right? Or a car rather than to the, the banquet hall and the videographer and all that stuff. A lot of times when people want me to officiate their wedding, like if it's a student, then I kind of you know have to say yes except for Bossett. But um if it's yeah but um yeah but yeah there are other things going on that day. But uh uh But if it's someone I don't know and I kind of don't want to do it, I'll tell them, pay me the same amount you're going to pay the DJ. One couple in history did it. The other, I don't even know how many people turned me down. Or I'll say, whatever is your budget for your wedding, uh, my fee is 10% of that. One couple in history did that. Uh, Everyone else suddenly vanished. And so mission accomplished both ways. I didn't have to do it. But so the point is that even in small local things, if enough people get together, you can actually change the local culture. And then that gets into then either conforming the culture to the law, or in the case of a society, changing the law to conform to your culture. The examples we gave yesterday, one was the gay lobby, the other one was the Christian Zionist lobby. The Christian Zionist, the gay lobby is essentially to be treated equally. The Christian Zionist lobby is for domination. You know, two fundamentally different uh, intentions uh, but that have been an ongoing process in changing culture as well as changing law all righty uh yeah uh, hopefully Samina saw your second comment there um uh, okay so having said that returning back to our explorations of the Quran again what was the the, the bigger point that the goal of law is to is to provide us ease in life and then the ayahs in the quran that give us law also from there we can extrapolate principles and another one i was just exploring is in the context of of the treatment of wives uh should be pretty straightforward but okay you should not be inheriting women against their will. But the point here is that the Quran is telling us something that should be obvious, that women should be recognized for having will, having agency. Good. So moving forward, we are speaking most recently in the context of wealth. Do not consume each other's wealth, okay, except what is lawful, which basically means by trade mutual consent again that should be straightforward and then what is the eventual conclusion of taking others wealth maybe over the course of a generation or a few generations is killing each other meaning if you're someone who today uh uh consumes someone else's wealth unlawfully you're probably not going to turn into a killer but if that becomes the cultural practice, the cultural norm, if enough people do it, then violence is not that far ahead. For Allah is merciful to you. How do we? What would be ways to understand this reference in this ayah? Ya amanu la takulu takulu. Don't eat. Don't consume. Amwalakum bilbatil. So don't consume each other's wealth. Uh, wrongfully and then but you should do it by tijara you should do it by business that you both are agreeing to and do not then fight do not kill each other but how do you make sense of this last part fitting, fitting into this ayah inna allaha kana bikum
1: perhaps the like motivation uh, behind a lot of people's uh, strives to consume another's wealth is that they think they can handle that wealth or okay. they think there is, there's, there's Baraka in it or um, you know so perhaps Osbandala is saying that uh, it's actually probably like merciful to you that you you don't take wealth that you can't handle
0: mm-hmm. yeah absolutely what else? Sabrina.
1: um you are focused I think on driving. It- yeah <laughs> no, my sister's driving. Sorry. Okay. I think it's also for those that don't get justice in the world. That works when someone, Like if someone consumes your wealth and you're not able to get justice in this lifetime, for God is merciful to you.
0: Okay. Like you nice.
1: will be. Well, that's my thought.
0: Yeah. Any other thoughts? Why would someone consume someone else's wealth? because you feel like you need more, you feel like you want more. That is an action version of saying you don't have trust in the mercy of God. If you have trust in the mercy of Allah, in the rahma of Allah, then that means you have confidence in the rahma of Allah, which means you have confidence you will be okay. If you feel compelled to take from someone else, The starting point might be the feeling of need. And then you're basically saying, all right, Allah's not going to provide for me. I'm going to do this. A more advanced version of that is just because you want more. Greed. Then that gets into the realm of ingratitude. Because if you have gratitude, you feel like you have so much. You don't even need to take from anyone else. You don't even want to take from anyone else. And then what starts happening, the larger version of that, so starting with need, then starting with just trying to get more so you can do more with it, so you have more power, then what's happening is your amara, your nafs al-amara is getting stronger. And that will push the reflection of Allah's rahma out of your head and take you more and more down the path of worse behavior. It'll take you down corruption. Uh, Basit, I don't know if you're speaking to us or speaking to someone else. A child. Okay, mashallah. So these are points to consider of why the rahmah of Allah is being mentioned to us in in this context. If I truly believe in the rahmah of Allah, then I truly, as a consequence, should be developing gratitude, which then means as a consequence, I should be feeling like I have so much. And that becomes one of the strongest deterrents against me committing crime.
1: So, boss. The ingratitude part—you uh, saying that ingratitude can lead to not needing things from anybody else because you have that much amount of wealth or something like that? Can so, you?
0: So, ingratitude. Oh, here. Let's. let's it would probably be easier if we draw it out uh, in terms of levels of corruption. So this is internal corruption, starting with, so one is essentially lack of trust in Allah. Especially Allah's mercy. And then that leads to uh, justifying cheating or crime. Make sense so far? out yes. of need out of of need or possible need good okay. and then if it gets deeper then it becomes the appetite for more so and at this point you're not just justifying it you're actually beginning inning your own morality, your own moral system. If you talk to crooks, crooks always have their own moral system, right? They have an honor among thieves. And then it gets worse, it becomes the culture. So, for example, imagine the first person who took a bribe in Pakistan in Karachi because they didn't have enough money so they're demanding a bribe and then other people started charging bribes too and it became something so normal in the culture that you're so used to the fact that you can't get anything done without paying a bribe anything whether it's a police officer especially a government official in the same way here, in many of the wards here in Chicago, if you want to open a business, you also have to give some kickback to the alderman, the older person. Okay. And then that becomes so normal that you look like the strange person if you're not doing it. That's when we're essentially getting to level three. So this is the norm, and this is social corruption. Then what happens is that the corruption advances into other realms of life. More than finances. Eventually, violence. Easy example. When was the last uh, war that you can name that uh, we went to for humanitarian reasons? Did we go to Iraq for humanitarian reasons? You know, uh definitely not. And so the excuse we used in Iraq was they have weapons of mass destruction. We went to Afghanistan, obliterating the Taliban. The Taliban didn't attack us. Al-Qaeda attacked us. And our accusation was that, all right, they're the ones that are giving free, you know, that are protecting, uh, that the Taliban are protecting al-Qaeda. And I'm not defending the Taliban and their their rule, but I'm saying uh, when we go to war, it's for exploitation of, of of the society. And so this is the distance between three and four is a very small distance. Make sense? Basit. it?
1: Yes. um,
0: Yes. Inshallah. Ulfat, then Safan, then Sabrine.
1: So I I, I can see, I'm I'm thinking right now, like Egypt, the economy is collapsing. So you start hearing stories of like a woman who gets caught stealing and then she's stealing because she can't feed her children. So it's out of desperation. Yeah. Right. And I can see how long-term if we keep kind of going downhill like that that like the poor will start like people who can afford things can make it can turn into violence yeah I see that but also I'm wondering like when it's really out of like really desperation um and if someone is in that situation like Sayyidina Umar when when he stopped the had of cutting people's hands yeah um but then if he did that wouldn't that kind of be feeding into the whole lack of trust in Allah
0: yeah Wonderful. So so that's a really good example. So just to give everybody a story, there's a famine taking place. And the normal practice of Omar's government was that he was giving rations to everyone. So everyone had some basic amount of food. But when the famine was taking place, they didn't have any food to give. And so then people were stealing bread just to have some food. And so Omar announces, you're not allowed to steal but because we are not fulfilling this obligation, we're not. We can't justify giving you the punishment. So the goal then for Omar was to figure out how to reform it, uh, to take away the need for people to steal. And and so in their case, the stealing was taking place because everybody was broke. Everybody was poor because of the famine. So once they started getting supplies from other parts of the land. Then he was able to give rations and such. And so think of the teaching of the Prophet, peace be upon him, that hunger leads to kufr. Right? Very often when we think of the poor, we think of them as the most devout people. But if you're poor enough, uh, you're going to start giving up on your namaz, on your prayers. Right? Because you still have to eat. And so you'll resort to, to, to stealing. So it's as though... A person needs a certain amount of wealth. So let's even take this a point step further. If we look in Surat al Quraysh, uh, we have the basic elements of a society. So if we were to sum those up, uh, we have uh, shelter and sustenance. I'm doing this in a different order than in the surah. Trade and travel. Security from fear. Oops. And and then religious devotion. Religious devotion. Right? So think. li fi Quraysh. Uh, yeah so those are the basic think of those as the basic elements of society and then what we're going to call health versus dysfunction is the same as saying justice and unjust so health everyone has reasonable access to healthy shelter and sustenance right how it happens in one society will be different in a different society but everyone has reasonable access to healthy shelter and sustenance dysfunction or unjust injustice would be uh difficult access So this is where we get into the conversation in Chicago and food deserts, food insecurity. That in Chicago, one out of six kids have food insecurity. Food insecurity means you don't know if you're going to have your next meal. So if it's lunchtime, you don't know if you're going to have dinner. So one out of six kids in Chicago don't know if they're going to have dinner today. In some parts of Chicago, one out of three kids. That's food insecurity. Food deserts is when you have to travel a significant distance just to get produce just to get basic groceries fruits and vegetable type things trade and travel is essentially fair trade and unrestricted travel so if i have to walk through a checkpoint for 4 hours to go to work that's oppression right Uh, Of course, if you're in quarantine, that's for everybody's safety. But otherwise, people should be able to travel freely so that they can earn. And fair trade means, number one, you get paid what you earn. Right? We're taught that the person should be paid even before the sweat evaporates. And you get what you pay for. And then dysfunction would be unfair trade, meaning you get paid low wages unfair wages, or you get exploited like in a monopoly with prices, or this also includes RIBA in terms of loans, and then restricted travel. Security from fear is more qualitative, but basically people feel secure. Dysfunction or unjust would be to preach fear. Because what happens when people are afraid, uh, they start losing their minds. You know? And so, preaching fear is basically, what is the better thing to do? To preach empowerment. So, even if, like, okay... Uh, this is a big thing after 9-11. We kept being told they hate us for our freedoms. They're going to hit us at any moment. Be vigilant if you see a suitcase that is abandoned, blah, 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 blah. It's all, it's all teaching and preaching skepticism and fear. It's preaching suspicion that destroys people and that destroys societies and relationships, as opposed to these are the steps to take for safety. And then this happens all the time to the American government because... Um, whenever the budget needs to be passed, one side will say the other side, if they don't do this, then we're going to fall into a depression we're going to fall into a recession. And again, that does not help a person that makes a person paranoid. And then religious devotion is protection of people's practices. And then exploitation would be to block people's practices. So this also means Muslim-majority society you're still protecting the Easter observances of Christians, right? So here, or like, you know, in Egypt, you're protecting the the observances of the Copts, the Copts, right? Now, why all this? Why uh, the focus on justice? One is just because it's a command, right? We have to stand up for justice. But even simpler than that is to make it as easy as possible for people to turn to Allah. If their basic needs are being met, they're more likely to have clear thinking, clear hearts. If their basic needs aren't being met, they're not going to have time for anything else. To make it easy to turn to Allah. In fact, let's even add a thing in between to make this even more interesting. So, crime and punishment. Crime and punishment. Those HUD crimes. One, if society is healthy. Right. If society is not healthy, meaning these basic needs are not being met, then <clears throat> you can't put these horrendous crimes, onto, onto these punishments onto people. And then two, then they're fundamentally a deterrent. The last deterrent. The bigger deterrent will be the culture of the people where you just feel that it's wrong for me to do this crime, and you feel bad, right? You're shamed for doing it. And so it's the last resort of a deterrent. And thus, why justice? Because the command. But to make it the bigger reason, is to make it as easy as possible for people to turn to Allah. Make sense? So that is essentially my responsibility to everybody in society, even if I'm the only Muslim. Uh, to everybody else to work in my capacity to make sure everyone has reasonable access to healthy shelter and sustenance, that trade is fair, that people get paid what they earn, that people can uh, travel unrestricted, that people feel secure, that their religious devotions are protected. If I'm one person in a large society, I can't do much. But likewise, this is the responsibility of all the Muslims in society to everybody else, including each other. So if this is not being fulfilled, then it's an open space for power to take taking advantage of the people. Make sense, Ulfat. It
1: does. So the crime and punishment part, this is like the dunya, right? What about yes. their Akhirah?
0: So if I pay for the crime in this dunya, then inshallah I don't have to pay for it in the Akhirah. But however, if I'm committing a crime, no matter what I'm doing, it's going to be based on the context. So a person who is stealing out of need is not the same as someone who's stealing without need. Make sense? Thank you. Good, Safan and then Sabreen. Safan.
1: So my question is, I'm having a hard time reconciling this idea of lack of trust in in law and um, the fact that Islamic law does make exceptions for exceptional circumstances uh, of difficulty um, and does make allowances in the law when, when things are, are challenging.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, expand on your question. Cause... I mean,
1: so concretely, right, um, there are rulings allowing for certain kinds of financial instruments in cases of hardship. Yeah. Um, whereas you, you could make the counter argument that no, you need to have trust in Oswald and uh, uh, there's for there should be no exception.
0: Okay, so those are two different conversations. So, if I am the jurist, I am not oh look at look at itful I'm not uh evaluating the faith of the person. Okay. I am seeking trying to preserve the faith of the person, but the uh the person who will be telling them, you know you should have trust in Allah will be a different conversation. Now, let's say someone is coming to me. My answer to them will be will be dependent upon my assessment of their strength of faith so for one person i'll tell them okay you've got enough faith you can get through this for another person yeah you should probably find a legal exception where you can do this you see what i'm saying that those are essentially one is a matter of the heart and one is a matter of the action and so islamic law you are trying to preserve the faith of the person but the jurist does not have the capacity or the authority to say, you should just trust Allah. law.
1: But I, right. I guess the question is you have certain rulings where exceptions are allowed um, in, like, so the example would be um, um, the consumption of pork, right? So if, yes. if you're starving, then then it's allowed in certain cases, right? Yeah. Um, whereas, you, you know, alternatively, from the standpoint of the person making the decision to, to eat it or not, it's like, I can have trust that things are gonna get solved in 30 minutes from now, right? You're not going to die in 30 minutes, I mean. Keep going. So, so I guess the question is, as an individual acting, yeah, um, how do you recognize that you know, this is a situation where um, I am in necessity, and so there's an exception to the ruling, versus I should have trust that this is going to resolve itself in one yeah. way or another?
0: So I would suggest that the trust and the, the exception, the darura, are both of the same person seeking obedience to Allah. And so the basic point being that, uh, the fact that Allah has given me pork as a mean for survival, if I have nothing else, that is the trust in Allah. Not that I'm going to not die, that I'm going to survive and, you know, suddenly a magic hamburger is going to land on my lap or something, but, uh, that Allah is going to forgive me. So, you I'm kind of uh, from what I'm answering your question, I'm tying them both together as trusts in a law. What do you think?
1: I mean, I think in a less vague circumstance, it's hard to, to split the difference, right? So if you have a, um, a person who's trying to decide, you know, what? OK, so, so for the example of, um, well, let's say a mortgage, right? And they're trying to get a home, right? Um, it's hard to decide for that person in that individual situation. Whether there's an exception or whether they should continue trusting.
0: Where's the trust issue there?
1: Well, okay, maybe you don't, we're not going to need a mortgage like next year, right? And it's just a matter of waiting for one more year.
0: Okay, but when would you need a mortgage? Like, what, give me options? Because what I'm thinking is I'm deciding between putting my money in an apartment versus getting a, a loan for a house.
1: I mean, I, I guess it would just be a matter of like a hypothetical where there really is. Just a binary choice, or you could say someone maybe who needs a payday loan or something like that, where you know they're going to be, you know, very dire hardship if they don't get one.
0: Yeah, I mean, even there, so the trust should still have some element of rationality to it, in the sense that uh it can't be delusion. And and so, if you find yourself thinking, okay, I really don't want to do this, uh, this choice uh but it might be my best option then you know it is very very vague uh but you're making the best choice you can for your circumstance the jurist who is then saying all right you know mortgages for house car loan student loan are okay they're speaking more for the general society saying that for the general society it is too much to ask them to tell them they can't get loans there's a general society they're not going to be able to sustain their iman uh, but for the individual you'd evaluate okay, can this person do it or not if I'm evaluating for myself then you know there's a line of practicality in there where some people will go too far in quote trust of Allah to their own detriment and some people will be giving in too quickly and for that space you know you just see forgiveness to Allah the forgiveness from Allah make sense sort of sort of okay we can talk more inshallah any other questions thoughts reflections so far okay so again we're looking in the context of of this I we're at I 29 and we're we'll probably stopping in just a moment so we're looking at what are the motivations for why people would consume someone else's wealth when it's an obvious instruction um, except by mutual consent. And then why would it make follow that killing is listed as well? And then regardless is merciful to you. These are the ayahs that I find very fun because these are very different concepts all put together. If you do any of these things out of hostility and injustice, then you're getting you're getting the fire, and that is easy for Allah. Okay. And so there is the question of what is your motivation? Okay. Dhulam is an interesting word because dhulam means what? It means darkness. But in the context of the Quran, it almost always means oppression. More often, it is oppression against the self. How would uh, me committing a crime against you be an oppression against myself? Thoughts? how would if i'm committing a crime against you i'm actually hurting myself sadia
1: um because i'm because i'm first of all i'm violating the boundaries of allah and i'm corrupting my soul
0: yeah basically that if i commit a crime against you you don't forgive me i don't ask for forgiveness then in the dunya, you've lost however much I've taken from you. But in the akhirah I'm paying you back. So you didn't lose nothing. And thus I lost. So I suffer in the akhirah in proportion to how much I cause suffering to you. But then likewise in the dunya, I am darkening my heart in, in, uh, in um, proportion to how bad the crime is. So when you commit a crime, you are the actual victim of the crime. Make sense to everybody? Yeah. yeah. We'll pretend, yes. Both of the agrees. very nice, mashallah. Alright, and so if you do any of these things out of Odwan, uh, so aggression, and Zulam, oppression, we said that oppression is usually oppression of the self. Uh, then it is easy for Allah to toss you in the fire, which is a very scary line. All yeah. Alrighty, and then finishing off the concept, if you avoid the actually no, let's stop here tomorrow because this is a, this is a really nice ayah. Alrighty, and okay, uh, let's see: embezzlement, corporate or government fraud is the same as consuming an individual's wealth, as in it's not clear that it belongs to a single person. Embezzlement, corporate government fraud might go on to the board of the company, might go on to the agents that are doing the actual fraud for the company. It may or may not go to the whole company. But Allah knows best. Alrighty, we'll stop right here. Could we see the board for a bit, please? Yes. Sabrine. Um, I had one other
1: question. It's actually related really- to, um, the earlier about immoral acts and this, so like this prostitution out of, you know, desperation, would it fall into this category?
0: Uh, potentially. Imagine. I'm just
1: because because of because what because of I, how much it is in third world countries, like it's yeah. the go to.
0: Yeah, I was talking to a student of mine here from Afghanistan who was telling me about what's going on in Afghanistan, that the Taliban came along, took the wealth of these women that have no husbands. The husbands were killed in whatever type of battle or exploitation. And then the women have no food for their kids. And so then they have to resort to prostitution. And so now imagine if that's a repeated thing, what is going to happen? You're going to have the rise of traffickers. And then, then Which is starts, what is happening, yeah. And then you're gonna have the traffickers that are taking advantage of the women, Mama. and then from there, uh, it starts Mama. becoming part of the culture, yeah. So, absolutely, Mama. Mama. looks like so the, kids, the kids have seen your kids, so everyone's getting curious now, but yeah,
1: Mama Mama, yes. <laughs> If Wait to like, have kids, y'all. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's what I'm looking forward to. Um, Inshallah. Yes, yeah. Yeah,
1: Um, She made me forget my other question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the individual woman yeah. isn't we're so we're talking about that individual woman isn't going to be necessarily like punished as much as the oh, this is a really good put her in that situation.
0: This is a really good uh, scenario for Safan's question. Let's say you have a woman with screaming children Mama. and she has no food. And I'm not talking about your screaming children, she has no, no. food, no water, no nothing, right. And yeah. so then she has to decide, okay, do I go down this road uh, uh, or, you know, to put food on my child's table? Uh, inshallah, uh, you know, she will not carry uh, a sin or too big of a sin because of the compulsion to do the crime. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the bigger sin is going to be on the person who's taking advantage of this
1: well that makes sense
0: i mean that person could literally just feed the child right
1: yes yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> and uh i know i've had students in this society who've had to go down that road right so i'm talking about yeah. people in chicago who had to either go into prostitution to pay for things or go into stripping to pay for things and so this is a, a horrendous dark side of our society I'm talking about Muslims who had to do this. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. All righty. Yeah. I'm sorry, you had a follow up point?
1: Yeah, it, we could continue it tomorrow.
0: All righty. No other questions, thoughts, reflections? Subhanakallah, bihamdika wa nashadwallah ilaha illa anta nastakfiruka May Allah reward you all, especially all these little kids that are jumping all over their parents, and inshallah. Ahant and Rossi will very soon have their own jumping all over them, inshallah. And
1: inshallah. Have...
0: Tomorrow. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.